Welcome to the Humane Roundup Podcast, where we share all the exciting stories about animal cruelty investigations, dangerous animals, and amazing rescues. Find out what goes on inside of animal shelters and all the current trends in the animal welfare industry. Now, here is your host, Daniel Edinger. And his amazing co-host, Ashley Bishop. What is going on? Welcome to episode 85. 85. 85. Do you remember 1985? I wasn't alive. Okay, whatever. Uh, we have a great show. <laughs> we have a great show scheduled for you today. It's going to be a, a different kind of episode. We've We've really never dove into animal sex abuse, so... To our listeners, we just want them to understand that this show is going to go to places that maybe we haven't been before. And, you know, the cool thing about podcasts is if if you're not into listening to this, uh, we totally understand and, and you can skip it and wait till next week. So, But I think it's still going to be a fantastic episode and I think we can learn a lot. Yeah, and, and for most of our listeners, I'm sure they're actually eager to listen to it. I just know that there might be people that come across it and they're like, nah, like not this episode. I'm going to have to skip because Absolutely. It, it's it's a taboo thing. Like it's just something that people don't want to think about that happens. And what we'll learn today is it probably happens a lot more frequently than people want to realize. So, yeah. yeah. So check us out on Facebook. Humane Roundup and Instagram, the Humane Roundup. Don't forget to check out H.O. Bishop on both socials and then Animal Protection Officer Daniel on those socials as well. And for please subscribe and like and comment. Give us a review. Let people know what we got going on here on the Humane Roundup. Check back at our previous episodes. We have some really good ones in the tank. Is that what you say? Good ones in the tank? Never heard that term, but you're old, what? so maybe that's <laughs> Wow. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, th this is this is going to be a really good episode. I'm really excited about what we got going on here about some, and it, it sounds weird, but like the truth of the matter is, as officers, we get these calls, we have to respond to these calls where they're suspected animal sex assault. And it's really important for us to understand kind of what goes on there and, and what to look for. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I've got somebody who's claiming it here in my area and I'm looking at this going, okay, really, I don't think she's got much to go on as to why she thinks this, but you know what? Maybe I'll learn something that'll help me. I think so. I think we all will. Uh, I'm really excited to, to get our next guest here on in a second and just talk more in depth about it. I just, again, want to give that disclaimer that this is going to be an episode about bestiality and zoophilia and things of that nature and so again you know just know that some of this stuff is going to be dark and, and and difficult for people to hear but at the same time you know there there's a lot of our listeners that have to deal with this stuff on a daily basis and and it's important that we understand that it's out there it exists and for our profession it's best that we are more educated about it so we can help those animals in these situations right and and people because this also carries over to sexual assault against you know people children etc so the link the link for sure 100 percent. and and so i'm excited to have our next guest who is jenny edwards she is a criminologist and subject matter expert jenny thank you so much for joining us today 
Thank you Hi, very Jenny. much. I'm so happy to be here. We're excited to have you. And, you know, I, I think it's it really important for our listeners to kind of know, you know, I've I've met you before at, at seminars, trainings, et cetera, but maybe kind of give a little background to our listeners on on what it is you do. Uh, well, I'm primarily a researcher. I'm a researcher and an educator. I spend a, a considerable amount of my time both reading what it, what <laughs> small amounts of literature is already out there, as well as conducting original research uh, to fill in the gaps. But I also spend a good amount of time training law enforcement officers, animal uh, protection officers, uh, social workers, psychologists, veterinarians, um, judges, uh, prosecutors. I've had quite a range of people in classes. And that's because this particular topic, it's uh, all disciplines. I mean, if you think it, it doesn't matter what job you have or what position in the, in life you are in, there's a really good possibility that you've either crossed paths with it and don't know it, or you do know it or suspected it and didn't know what to do about it. So that has been my mission over the last 15 years to to share what I know. To, to learn new things and share them as I learn them. So as I say, I'm a primarily a researcher and educator, but I also am active in investigations. I frequently uh, get uh, consults where uh, it's typically a law enforcement officer, sometimes a special unit uh, detective, like someone in sexual assault or child abuse or uh, uh, child pornography um, investigators, excuse me, who will call and say there's you know some suspected case that we this has been reported but we don't really have enough information what should we look for um or even more to the point have you ever heard of this person and quite honestly it's not unusual for me to already be aware of the person that they're talking about um as i i am a certified investigator although that's not my my primary role um but in that i Frequently, will I have a team of volunteers who we work um, independently to monitor sites where um, people with deviant interests hang out, and we keep a, a file on on what we find out. And sometimes we're able to identify those people directly, and other times it's I, I liken it as uh, trying to put a quilt together. You take a little piece of fabric from here and another piece of fabric from there, and eventually you can put together the puzzle. So maybe it's more like a puzzle piece for those of you who are not, who are not quilters. <laughs> uh, but that's that's the gist of what I do. And then putting all that together, I take all the knowledge that I have and the contacts that I have made, and I assist with legislation. Uh, a lot of times I'm actually the person who's drafted the bill that, that ultimately gets passed. And if not drafting it frequently, I'll be the person who edits what someone else has proposed or give my input as to why this or that is maybe better language or um, how to go about addressing um, the pushback that some people have. You mentioned we'll get into Yeah, we'll get into some of that bill stuff here, I think, in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned that this is a sensitive sensitive issue. It's a taboo topic. And that really, that sets the tone for every interaction that I have with people. Uh, I think it's it, this is a really, really important topic to talk about because it is not talked about and not talking about it doesn't make it go away. 
Mm. So we're, we'll we'll get into that more in a minute. Well, I mean, let's let's talk about the the laws and stuff and and what you're working on because I understand that there's four states that still allow for bestiality. Now, is it that they're that they allow for it or that they just don't explicitly exclude it? Thank you for asking it that way. Um, it, no state considers bestiality to be a legal, allowable thing to do. Um, there are actually, we're down to two, possibly three. I still don't know whether uh, Hawaii has passed yet, but we did manage to get a bill passed in Wyoming this year, and that was a huge hurdle to cross. So there are um, West Virginia, New Mexico, and possibly Hawaii are still, Hawaii is in play, and it's is just sitting on the governor's desk, so it's, it's up to him to sign it. Um, but there are those three states plus the District of Columbia that don't have specific uh, legal prohibitions against it. Now, that said, um, there are other laws, uh, generally in the animal cruelty codes, that if an animal is injured in the process, then it's still considered animal cruelty and still can be prosecuted. And something that I've been working with prosecutors on for years is that even if there's not a, even in states where there's not a specific law, it's very common for some other thing to be happening, like trespass, um, where a person sneaks into a barn at night or onto someone else's property and has sex with an animal that doesn't belong to them. Or sometimes there's drugs or alcohol or there are other things involved. And like video videotaping can be videotaping. possession. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. And so it, it way back when I first started doing this, a lot of uh, uh, uh animal control off well not so much animal control officers because they would respond but law enforcement officers who are presented with these cases a lot of times wouldn't wouldn't do anything about it they would think that it was a fake report or just laugh it off or just you know this just doesn't happen it can't happen or they would say i don't have enough in, uh, um, evidence and even when presented with a, a picture or a videotape uh, they might say, well, you know, statute of limitations, we can't determine where this was filmed or when it was filmed or whatever. So we're just not going to proceed. Well, the fact is, it, I call those belfies, by the way, they're, they're bestiality selfies when the person is, you know, filming themselves, which is really common, way more common than you might think. Um, and then they share those images with, with their friends and sometimes with um, not people who are like-minded, but just they, just for for craziness um but anyway those are that's how they get caught and well and what is that it constitutes Sorry. the act right that so you can't film the thing unless the thing happened so if you have a law about bestiality you can prosecute against or you can charge a person with that crime even if the video is your primary um evidence well and when now you... wouldn't that fall under the pact act Okay, thank you for asking that question. Great question. Great question. Yeah, it's a great question because there's a lot of confusion about that. The PACT Act does not prohibit or pre pre prevent or in any way deal with bestiality. Uh, what it does, the PACT Act was originally passed, actually it was passed before uh, uh, Obama was in, in office, but... In like uh, 2010 or, or... Well, 2010 is when Obama uh, okay. got on board. Uh, with it, but the act actually was it was already in in play. The history of that act, we could do a whole show just on this bill, for example. Um, the 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 or, origination of that bill had to do with dog fighting, 
there was a guy who had a business of training dogs and he started videotaping his training of these dogs. They were hunting dogs initially that he worked with. And then he glommed on to the idea that, oh, dog fighting, I could make some money on videos filming how you train animals for dog fighting. So he, he did that. And uh, I don't remember who initiated the action, but animal rights people and some other people got involved and said, no, we don't, we don't like this. We want to prohibit this. So the original act was uh, called uh, something like animal, animal torture. And that is the basis on which they built the entire act. So for a long time, that's, that's what it was called. It was called the animal, Prevent Animal Torture Act or something like that. Because it also when, involved at some point crushing videos too, yeah? Well, that, and that's, that was the next thing. So when, uh, by the time Obama got involved, they, crushing had become a, ter a term and a thing that people be had become aware of. And just sidebar for people who don't know what that is. Crushing is the act. It, that also was kind of an innocuous thing initially. It was uh, usually very overset uh, women crushing uh, crackers and bananas and things underneath their bare feet. And that's a real turn on. That's a fetish that some people have. They get turned on by that act of crushing. And from there, as things do, it moved to the dark side. And uh, they began crushing small animals underfoot, mice, um, insects, Hamsters, that sort of thing. Yeah. But then they moved up. It moved up like, like things do. Uh, hamsters and rabbits and kitties and puppies. And then they moved to torture where they're physically, um, you know, sorry for the, the graphic nature of it, but they're lopping the heads off of animals. Um, again, be, so now I have to back up a little bit. Bestiality is kind of a tricky term. The original uh, definition of that word was inhumane treatment. And what it originally meant was being was acting like an animal toward a person, which denigrates animals, and that's a whole other topic. But the idea was that if you were so inhumane to someone, like gunning down little children, for example, that would be considered a form of bestiality. Um, because of the biblical references, and by the way, that word is not, bestiality doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere, um, but because there were biblical references to not... Uh, it's inappropriate for a man to lay with an animal. That's not a, an appropriate sex partner for a, for a person. Um, because of that, the original laws that prohibited against it use the term bestiality. That's where the that's where the word comes from. So now back to the crush video thing. So, and there are two flavors of torture torturous acts or crush videos. Crush videos in themselves are not specifically, um, they're, they're, there's not sex involved, okay? The, the, what's, what the person is looking at, the, it's, they're really, and it's not that the actors in the video have some sexual um, desire or gratification or whatever. It's for the person viewing the act. Mm, the person okay. viewing the act has a sexual attraction to violence. On the other hand, there's a new, form, well, it's probably not a new form. We're just becoming aware of it. There's a new uh, uh, issue that we've become aware of that I've been referring to as zoosadism. Oh. And in that situation, it is an act of torture, but specifically sexual. 
Can you okay. quickly give a, a definition of zoophilia as well, just for our yeah, listeners to understand? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, and thank you for asking that because that's, again, a, a confusing uh, term. So the difference between zoophilia and bestiality is that zoophilia is um, is is actually a is it's a form of paraphilia, which is a mental health um, an atypical sexual response to something. So, for example, uh, pedophilia is a paraphilia where the person is abnormally attracted to people who are much younger, um, uh, inappropriate age or size or whatever. And zoophilia is an inappropriate sexual attraction to an animal. Okay, so there's no law that prohibits zoophilia. Zoophilia won't appear in any state law anywhere because we we don't and really can't um, legislate against mental health conditions or or disorders. That said, when zoophilia crosses when a, so a person can be sexually attracted to an animal but never act on it. Uh, there are pedophiles who have always been sexually attracted to children, but have never actually had sexual contact with the child, but they're still pedophiles, right? Yeah. So when a person, so not everybody who has sex with an animal is zoophilic, by the way, and I'll get to that in a second. But when a person who is sexually attracted to an animal reaches out and makes contact in some sexual way, uh, fondling or intercourse or whatever, zoosadism, uh, then it becomes bestiality, which is a prohibited act in nearly every U.S. state and pretty much all over the world. When you talked about uh, zoosadism, so can you just dive back a little bit into that on, and I just wanted people to understand the whole zoophilia kind of definition and how that related to the zoosadism. Can you talk about, so you're seeing more of that. You, you're not saying that it's new, it's just becoming more visible. Uh, so, well, zoophilia and bestiality, it, it's, a, it's a spectrum of behavior. It's not just, when I get asked, like, you know, what, what's the, everybody wants to know, what, who, who am I looking for? What, who, who is my suspect? What, what's my suspect going to look like? And the fact is, there is no single profile of an animal sex offender. They come from all walks of life. Um, generally speaking, they will have had their first sexual experience with an animal. So the ones who are zoophilic um, will have had their first sexual experience with an animal uh, sometime between age 10 and 13. So they start really early. But we don't catch them typically. Uh, the average age is 38 and a half. So they're mm -hmm. older when we catch them. That means that there's a very long time frame that they may have been, probably have been, um, having some kind of sexual contact with some animal somewhere, sometime. Uh, so there's the the zoophilic offender, the person who's sexually attracted. Um, they typically will have their own animal. About half of them, when they get caught, uh, have been having sex with their own animal. The other half uh, obtain an animal from a, from other places. They trespass, or it's a neighbor's dog, or their dog sitters or groomers, or somehow they have access to them. And then there's the set. The next biggest set, probably, and unfortunately is the um, what I call the crossover offender. And that is um, a person who may or may not be sexually attracted to animals, but use them in a sexual context. Uh, they're, it, it, they're the people who might um, uh, commit incest, have, have sex with their own children, as well as an animal, the animal in the family. It, to them, it's just another, you know, it's another, it's a sibling, it's a family member. Um, 
that group uh, also kind of a subset of that group are the people who uh, manipulate or coerce their girlfriends or uh, spouses or someone else to commit the act. And often their interest is actually in viewing it, not in doing it. Uh, so they're more, they would, they would be considered voyeuristic from a mental health perspective. Um, they're the people who would be your porn collectors, um, who use porn in a, uh, in a pretty, uh, pretty significant kind of way. Then there's the curiosity, um, the curiosity seekers. And those are like the couples who are looking to spice up their sex life or um, the, the basketball star who goes to a party and does drugs and gets drunk and, and puts on a display of pretending to or maybe actually um, having sex with the, with the host's dog or whatever. Um, so so it's, a it's a range of behavior and a range of, of personality types. So how, where do we begin on an investigation with that? I mean, if if there's <coughs> not Sorry. really much of a baseline, like where where do we yeah, begin? Yeah, that, that's that's a really good a really good point. You begin with what you've got, um, and and a lot of times what you've got is just your gut feeling. Uh, if you go and this, and this is another part of the class that I teach to protection officers specifically, uh, if you're in a home and you saw a lot of things that just didn't strike you like right. Uh, the person is like overly interested in their animal. Uh, they want to talk with you about why spay neuter is absolutely a verboten thing, something you should never do. Um, they may have a lot of animal uh, animal related stuff like uh, if we if we were doing this live and I was showing you images, I would show you pictures from a excuse me, an investigation that I helped on <clears throat> where the offender had, I mean, everything in the house, every room in the house had animal stuff. It had anime character, caricatures on the refrigerator wall. He had posters on his walls. He had his bedspread, had a sexy um, uh, tiger on it. Uh, so there was just a lot of excessive interest. In other cases, like Daniel mentioned, it's going to be uh, a video. Somebody is going to get wind of it. It'll shot. It'll they'll pop up on Facebook. <laughs> a lot of these guys will trade, and these are not the zoo files, by the way. Um, will will coerce or manipulate or or whatever, talk their girlfriend into doing it for fun, and take a take a video of it. And then the then the couple breaks up. And so as a as a as a threatening act when uh, when the girl moves on to some new guy uh he'll post that video on facebook and say you know this is who you're dealing with right so that may be your first introduction to it and the person the man himself didn't this is where it gets tricky because the guy typically didn't do the penetration it's typically the female uh who's either being orally stimulated or sometimes penetrated by an animal that's being filmed and most often, she does not get charged. The man gets charged. Um, that's actually a research project I'm working on right now. The paper's going to be, it's already been accepted for publication um, in, well, it'll be submitted in August. I don't know when the journal will come out, but that that basically is the thing I'm going to talk about is the well, difference. Well, is it like in... a, co a coercion or a, a act of domestic violence? And that's why the male party's getting charged? It depends. And th so this is where we would launch into legislation. 
It really depends on how the law is written. A lot of laws, because lawmakers don't want to talk about this, they're just like everybody else. They don't want to use the words and they don't want to, they don't want to talk about sex generally and don't want to be known as the guy that sponsored the animal sex abuse bill, right? So uh, what happens is sometimes the language is so sparse that it's good from the standpoint that that makes it very broad. It's not very specifically defined, but it's bad from the standpoint that many, many times they totally leave out um, pornography, animal pornography, as as an element that is chargeable in a crime. They may totally leave out situations where someone else is coerced or manipulated or facilitated to um, to perform the act. And so sometimes it is it is difficult to prosecute the cases, not because of lack of evidence, but because of lack uh, loopholes loopholes in the law. Can I touch on something quickly and, and it may take yeah, us a little bet. off track, but I and so we can always maybe circle this back into the specifics of of the bestiality stuff, because we have a lot more questions there. But you you brought up something that the the story about like the basketball player and kind of showing off and then having sex with someone's animal or something like that, just for whatever reason, triggered this whole movement or scene of furries. And I think I, I think I saw I even on your website, on your website, which people can check out and we'll put a link into the show notes. It's mjennyedwards.com. But I think I saw somewhere that it's like one in six person that is involved in furries is also involved in bestiality. Right. And thank you for bringing up the the furries. I love furries, by the way. Um, furries in, in and of themselves are, they have absolutely nothing to do with zoophilia or bestiality. Uh, it's a community of people who enjoy dressing up as uh, a, some particular uh, kind of cartoon like that, although they don't like the word cartoon. Um, they they like embodying the characteristic of a particular animal that they relate to. They cosplay and it. They cosplay. Thank you. They cosplay it. Uh, they're they're just out there having a good time, and they have conferences and get together, and they they spend thousands of dollars on their costumes, some of which are really really elaborate, and they have their their own celebrities. There are people that are really well known in the, in each furry community wherever wherever you may be in the world. So what happens is the people who uh, who are zoosexual, who are in the furry community, I would say they're primarily zoosexual and sometimes posing as furries or because they're accepted by that community. That's already, already kind of a fringe element. And so they will go there and seek other people who have access to animals because frequently furry uh, a lot of furry conferences well they're they're just like we are everybody else in the world right now because of covid they're not having physical conferences but frequently the reason that they have conferences aside from just a, a an opportunity to opportunity to get together they raise money that typically goes to a local animal shelter or some That's of their cool. animal cause yeah, yeah. So there are animal lovers, animal owners, um, and animal uh, protection supporters. So that makes them attractive to people who want to go to the dark side, who want, just like a pedophile who'll move next to a, a school playground. It's the same kind of behavior. They, they find ways to get next to or become close to um, uh, 
places where they help will have it they can groom somebody if you will um to and this has happened we've had several cases where uh somebody will meet a person at a at a furry conference and it turns out, and they get invited to the house and it turns out the person is really a zoo uh you know come come stay at my house bring your dog we'll we'll have we'll party for the weekend well party means one thing to one side of the the, the couple and something else to the other side so yes there are probably one in six um, uh, posers, zoophile posers, who are in the furry community. But I would I would not classify them as strictly furry. So, bringing it back to, you know, just kind of ultimately, I mean, the craziness, right? I mean, for for those of us that aren't entertaining this idea of having sex with an animal just seems absolutely crazy um what what kinds of animals are we looking at i mean obviously you've got you hear about the um horses and the dogs but i mean is that primarily it is there other animals we're looking at yeah pretty much any animal is free game so to speak um <clears throat> dogs are are far and away the most um the most often sexually abused animal and that's because of it uh, accessibility i mean they're just there are more are more of them and they're more readily available they in some cases do still roam the street um there are lots of industries and businesses there are pet shops and clinics and shelters and dog groomers and dog walkers and you can get a, a, a access to a dog pretty pretty easily so that's very explainable um why they're the most prevalent they're also small enough to hold um, and restrain. And many breeds, like one of the most popular breeds for sexual abuse, turns out to be a pit bull. And my theory on that is because the, their pits are can be really sweet dogs. They're really tractable. They want to please you. Labs are the other one that comes up a lot. They want to please you. And so they they're they're more easily trained. Um, the second most often abused animal, though, is is horses, which you also mentioned. And then after that, it's farm animals. Um, donkeys, particularly many donkeys, are are a ready target. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, many many horses. Uh, I get cases on many horses far more often than you would like to know. Um, and then, surprisingly, chickens and other kinds of um, fowl. And the reason why uh, the ch a chickens cloaca has to be very flexible to uh, to release that egg. And so it's kind of a good spot, and you can hold a chicken, you can hold it by its neck. Unfortunately, um, birds almost 100% of the time die as a result of penetration by a human, uh, because what comes out is not supposed to go back in there. So <laughs> that's so that's it. But chick so chickens are, are, are another popular animal. Um, I have, I, there's so yeah there's, there's so many questions that i have and you know that the, we're, we're probably going to go a little long today if that's okay with you just because i, yeah, I want to make sure i want to make sure our listeners really get the full spectrum of how how common this is what to look for and all the different animals that can be used so i didn't mean to to interrupt you there i know you were still talking about some of the other animals as well as chickens um, well, the, the other thing that I was going to say is wildlife uh, may also surprise you how on wildlife pops up. Um, and generally, like we've had multiple cases of uh, deer 
there was a case right here in Washington, actually, where a guy came to the attention of Fish and Wildlife because they thought he was poaching the deer. And when they um, when they approached him about it and asked him, you know, was had he been had he been the guy who was using a um, a searchlight and a and a jeep and whatever to hunt the deer at night out of season, he admitted right away that he did it. And then they asked him, well, you know, what are you doing with all the deer meat? Do, do you eat it? Do you sell it? What do you do? And he said, no, I have I have sex with them. He was so appalled. Ne- he was actually appalled. Yeah, oh, sorry. Is, yeah, is necrophilia illegal? Like if in certain states or sex with, you know, sex with a corpse? It depends on the law. Okay. That's, it, it really does. And, and that's, you know, there have been at least two cases I can think of right off the top of my head. Uh, where the person did have sex with the corpse and couldn't be prosecuted. One person was convicted and successfully appealed. The other person uh, couldn't be charged because the they, the defense attorney successfully argued that animal uh, meant live animal. And since dead wasn't specified, which is why when I'm working with legislators, I always say uh, when you're defining animal, you need to say live or dead. Being well, other than a human, you can like for the for our listeners and officers, you know, you can always look into the charge of animal cruelty if they killed the animal first, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, it depends on the circumstances because some animals die during the act, and some animals are killed specifically for the act. So you're absolutely right. It it really depends on the the success of the investigator to to stay tuned to those details. And really, you know, consider all the things that have happened and how you might go about charging a person. So with some of this out there already, I want to jump into, I did some research prior to you coming on. And there's some websites like Dolphinus and Zooville that have like step-by-step guides on how to get this animal to penetrate you or have sex with you is that the case in in most situations they groom them or do they use like a pheromone are they using like specific other methods that like if because i think in the mr hands series where you know that that incident happened in in washington did they were they using pheromones for the horse to penetrate them no not in that specific case um but the but the general answer to your question is yes yes and yes um people who um who have access to their own animal uh they the and the ones who are who are zoophiles the who are sexually attracted to the animal typically ha- go through a training uh, if they're a conscientious person they go through a training kind of uh, uh, series of things that they do um they'll they'll socialize the animal they a lot of times will use a, a specific shirt they'll always wear the same shirt when when it's time to have sexy time or <laughs> excuse me or maybe a certain corner of the room that they always use that kind of thing um in a sense people who are attracted to horses uh do use pheromones but na- in, in a natural kind of way mares urine frequently is what they will use to attract a stallion and so, so in a sense, pheromones are used, but, and there's a, there was a guy, a case in, in well, in Colorado, as a matter of fact, um, where, uh, the person did use a, a breeding pheromone spray 
um, kind of generically sprayed the room to to sort of get the animal attracted. And it's not clear whether that was really a trigger or whether it was many other things that 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 they did to to cause um, the dog to mount the the person. So, dogs they have teeth. They they tend to protect themselves, right? So, how many people get injured because? Great question. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a great question. And here's here's one of the challenges with research. Unless you um, are able to obtain the court documents, the actual court documents of of, of the interviews, um, and and actually it's the police report is what you're really looking for, and those things are typically not um, obtainable in freedom of freedom of information requests. Unless the officer took down that those kinds of specifics and then made it available to someone like me who could collect that information. Uh, you, there's just not really a good way of knowing. And uh, something I have, I've really just honestly recently begun to encourage officers to do is when you are getting a warrant, you want to be able to seize not only the um, animal and DNA from the animal, but you may also want to um, inspect the person because you do want to look for those things. Now, that said, people who have animals that they have trained to have sex with them rarely get injured. The animal rarely gets injured and they rarely get injured. It's more often the case of where someone, uh, it's called fence hopping, where they trespass onto another property and have intercourse with an animal that, that had no idea what was coming they're more likely to be kicked by a horse or bitten by a dog or scratched by a cat um, than in the other the other situation. Can we go back means... to... Oh, go ahead, Ashley, if you had a follow-up. Oh, I was just going to say, which means it makes it harder for the cruelty aspect to fit, I would think. Exactly, which is the other thing I've really, really been lobbying for is injury is, is, not, is not typical, honestly. Um, based on the research that I've been able to do so far, and with the caveat that you really ha don't have all of the information about who who got injured or the extent of the injury, and if I forget about it, please remind me to go back and talk about the veterinary forensic aspect. Um, but even uh, in cases where there's no apparent injury, uh, the animal is behaviorally changed. If an animal has been trained to have sex with a person, you basically have to start from zero, retraining that dog to be a typical um, animal companion, which makes Couldn't them you articulate. To... You could articulate that meets the definition of torture in your statute. Exactly right. Thank you. And because most people miss that, and that is some prosecutors are spot on to that. And it's usually the ones who have worked animal cases before. They do think of that. It's like, no, that is a form of torture. But typically, that is not what happens. Most often, like not probably ninety percent of the time, um, a a given well, even a, even a given uh, enforcement officer, it, it you may only have one of these cases during your career, and so for a prosecutor, they're not going to spend the time because they don't have the time to uh, suss out the uh, the codes that apply to this specific situation. And so a lot of these cases, by I'd say a, a vast amount of them don't, they never see the light of day in court. I, I want to talk about that in a little bit. I know you studied 456 cases and mm -hmm. 
have some have some great data there and and uh, gosh maybe 30 percent you can help me with this number ended up in actual convictions out of those 456 cases yep 29 percent so okay it's just it's fascinating this this whole this whole world exists and i uh, in your opinion should sex with an animal bestiality however it's going to be defined be a felony or should it stay as a misdemeanor in a lot of these states it should always be a felony it should always start as a felony even if it's the lowest level of felony agreed i because and here's here's the reason why um animal sexual abuse is a sexual it's a form of sexual assault it is a form of animal cruelty certainly because it involves an animal and the outcome for that animal but it it really is a form of sexual assault it's sexual assault that's similar to rape it's sexual abuse in that it's similar to incest and child sexual abuse. It's a form of exploitation that's similar to the production and distribution of child pornography. It's a form of coercion or manipulation or violence that's similar to domestic violence, interpersonal violence, intentional killing. It Those are all felonies. Absolutely. Those are felony they're crimes. All they're all linked. All linked. And they're all so linked to one another, yes. How many states require somebody convicted of bestiality to then register as a sex offender? Oh, thank you for asking that question. I think there are three. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there are three. Um, and that's a real, it's a tricky subject because there's a whole, um, I actually in, I uh, can't remember which state it was now, but one state that I was working on a, uh, on a bill that was about to get passed, a person uh, complained a, a, a convicted, a convicted child sex offender complained about the bestiality legislation because he felt that sex offender registries were discriminatory, and they are because they should be, right? Oh. Uh, it's yeah. like the same, wow. the same idea of, and I think I might have found this on your website or somewhere else, but there's individuals that like, how do I say this the right way? They like the idea of being a zufi basically as being homo a ho homosexual 50 years ago thinking that yes. in 50 years right. from now it'll be generally accepted in this country as a, a relationship status yeah there is a there is a contingent that that says that but here's the here's the problem with that with that idea um homosexual relationship relationships are about consenting adults or Absolutely. consenting partners right a person Absolutely. Yeah. 13, 14, 15, 16 can, 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 can consent. The challenge is an animal, just like a child or a person who is incapacitated physically or mentally, cannot give informed consent. There's a difference between consent and informed consent. Informed consent as a legal construct says, I have to understand the implication of what I'm agreeing to. So here's the analogy I use with people. Um, if I walk outside my front door and I see a dog walking down the road and I know it doesn't belong to any of my neighbors and I'm a person who likes to have sex with animals, I may go out there with some piece of meat or a cookie or something and entice that dog to come into my house. The dog will accept, will consent to taking the treat and will consent to coming in the house with me, but it has no idea what my intentions are, right? So sure. it, cons it consented to those and might even consent to the act of having sex with me, 
but doesn't but didn't have the capacity to understand what that meant long term. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's just it's a I think it's just a hard thing for people to to really understand that like these perpetrators, I probably should say, you know, look at it as the animal wants to do it, right? They're, they they have this mentality like, oh, no, no, it, it actually likes this. It enjoys it. And it's a, a you know, it's a, a very sadistic type of mentality, in my opinion, to look at a, an animal or an innocent being, you know, that's like taking the same thing, like you mentioned, taking advantage of a, a small child or taking advantage of somebody that may have a mental disability or something in that aspect where they can't consent they don't know what's going on and then they're being taken advantage of now pedophiles make that exact same argument a pedophile will tell you that the five-year-old came on to me jesus right Uh, i mean that that's called a a neutralization technique by the way um they have uh uh there and they they map almost one-to-one what uh, the the techniques that um, the the lies that uh, pedophiles tell themselves about what they do are almost exactly the same as the lies that animal sex abusers say. The and I was doing it for the animal's benefit. I was giving them release. Um, the animal initiated it. Um, there was no injury. And uh, and my favorite one is well, we eat them. Isn't that worse? Don't which, get me started on that. <laughs> I know. Don't get me started on that. It's just like that is a crazy argument. It's a it's a specious argument. Mm-hmm. What what should a veterinarian or animal control officer or somebody be looking for on an animal to help prove the case? Uh, well, there are. I, I've got a whole class on this actually, um, but the the high spots are uh, like I mentioned earlier. You want to look for any unusual, um, excuse me, any unusual interest or uh, uh, language or imagery or whatever. If there seems to be like an overabundance of enthusiasm, especially about an animal's genitals, the size of its testicles, how how well it reproduces. Um, you know, my sexy puppy. Um, I had one guy tell me that his dog was a slut. Um, uh-huh. So you want to look for those kinds of those kinds of words or or pictures. Number one. Uh, number two, um, if they're particularly adamant about, like, if you if you're there and even in the initial interview with them, way before you go to the process of seizing the animal, they're going to be really resistant to that. Uh, abnormally resistant. I mean, nobody wants to give up their dog, right? But they'll be abnormally resistant to that. And if they do release the dog, you're going to have random people come to the shelter trying to say, take charge of it, say, well, I'm a family member, I'm a friend, I'm a whatever. And typically those people are going to also be in the lifestyle. So that, so some of that's circumstantial, but those are just triggers. Those are, are just some things to look for. Um, specific physical evidence to look for are butt plugs. Do you know what I mean by butt plugs? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. we know what those yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, some of them have tails. Everybody some does, right? Even, they have tails on them. Some of them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they do. There. There are horsey tail ones and doggy tail yep. ones, and yeah, they're fun things. So if you see those, that's <laughs> that's a big indicator. Yep, because those are used as training aids. Um, they also they frequently will start with baby beads, which are the little tiny. Uh, tiny beads beads. that that you insert that are pedophile shoes 
So, uh, so you, you want to look for those kind of random things, you, things that are out of place. Like if you see a mounting uh, breeding stand in somebody's bedroom, well, that's kind of odd. Yeah, like dog fighting or legitimate animal yeah. breeding. Uh, you know, a, 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 I call them rape yep. stands, but yeah. I say, but if they're in an unusual place, uh, you know, I had one officer call me and say, hey, you know, I'm investigating this guy and I'm here in the bedroom and uh, he's got this, or not, sorry, not the bedroom. It was in the living room. Um, he's got this, like, it looks like a little, like a little wooden bridge you would put in your garden. <laughs> and so I, I said, turn that camera around, show me what that is. And it was a rape stand. Yeah. I'm like, okay, there, that's a clue. You, you want that? You, you want that? You want to, you want to take that? Um, certain, uh, oh, and they also will frequently treat their own animal for injuries. They, uh, there are vets who are known to the zoophiles who will treat the animal and ask no questions. But well, we have a vet situation that we'll get into in a few minutes down in South okay. Florida. Yeah. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. Yeah. So that so you want to so any it's like any other investigation. Anything that that strikes you as a little bit unusual is probably going to be something important. And obviously, this is why also in the uh, that I uh, tell officers in your warrant, you always want to be able to look at their phone, their computer, and their vehicle. Uh, you want you're looking for imagery because at least, and I'm sure this number is low, but at least 35% of animal sex abusers also have child pornography. Mm, Jesus. And this is an investigative tip. If you're doing that, if you're looking at video, if you're looking at still, you know, camera footage, uh, I guess those are called pictures. You want to just, you don't want to just look at the animal, right? You, you're looking for identifying markings, whether it's on the person themselves. A lot of times they take these videos from the, you know, waist down to the, right. you know, to the knees. So you're looking for birthmarks or scars, tattoos. Right. And then the other thing too is the surroundings of the video. Right. Bed sheets, uh, photos on the wall, lamps, remote controls, you name it. Anything in that right. room that you can match, that you can match with with the video, that's what you're looking for. And so they're smart in that aspect. And I don't know if I really want to refer to these people as smart, but they're smart in the aspect of they're not going to put their face on there, but they're dumb enough to put you know, the, the quilt that there is one of a kind that their grandmother right. knitted that you can say, okay, this quilt was in this video with a dog that looks like this dog. And then now I have a birthmark on this person's, you know, left abdomen. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect example. It's there's so much, we didn't talk about gerbiling, but I do want to talk about that. And I'm sure some of our, some of our listeners probably laughed when I said that, you know, look for tubes in the home. I mean, that's a, that's a right. form of bestiality as well. Can you talk a little bit about that, Jenny? Yeah, um, I, I absolutely can. In fact, I did a, did a whole interview with a, a guy who writes for like the New York Times or something uh, about this very topic. He, he was very interested in the whole Richard Gere um, urban myth. You know, is it an urban myth? And I can't speak to the Richard Gere situation specifically, but I can tell you that it, it absolutely does exist. Gerbling is a thing. Um, and for those of you who don't know and want to know, gerbling, it refers to, it's not just a gerbil. It could, it typically isn't a gerbil. It's more apt to be like a, my, a mouse or, or even insects. Um, I'm sorry, this is graphic and it's horrible, but there is a guy who really is a pedophile, but who, um, tortures little girls by putting cockroaches in their vaginas Jesus. and that is it is both a form of bestiality 
and of course a form of torture and child sexual abuse. So yeah, it absolutely does exist. And then there's a whole um, uh, genre of videos where some people are sexually turned on by either watching or by doing uh, people insert um, uh, eels or slippery things inside their body cavities. Uh, and so they're typically with these. I just animals, don't understand. Well, that's I know. the thing. Are they you like? Is this? Are, are they only doing that? And the reason I bring it up from an investigation standpoint is like this tube. Is it a PVC pipe? Is it a clear tube? Are they doing it other ways, or is that typically the way that they get them? Inserted? Yeah, t it's typically it's typically a a a, a tube, a, a PVC, a, a something that was some some. Um, it's, it can't be like a toilet paper or a paper towel tube because those things would just collapse with yeah. moisture and whatever. But uh, you should also be aware, since you already know about butt plugs, um, that some people have stretched their anuses to the point or vaginas to the point that uh, you could drive a car up in there. I mean, <laughs> it's, so it doesn't require any special <laughs> equipment to put something in there that shouldn't be in there. I, I don't I even know. <laughs> Bishop, what do you got on that? <laughs> I, nothing. I, I, my mind is just racing. Well, there, to, to bring it back into perspective, this is why I say over and over and over again, bestiality is much more prevalent and much more impactful than people realize it is. It's not just a simple thing of petting the dog and having the dog lick you somewhere. It's much bigger than that. It's much, much more insidious than that. Uh, it's much more important than that, which is why it always needs to be a felony level crime. And Agreed. we're working on that. We're gradually getting, um, getting states to go back and, and, and reinvestigate their laws and, and make them more complete. But it should always be a felony crime. Um, the animal, not just the animal that is the subject of the investigation, but all animals in the home can should be removed because any animal can be the used subject. as a sexual um, a victim. Sure. Uh, yeah. I really do believe we didn't have time. It's probably a whole other podcast we could do on the whole sex offender registry thing. But I do think that there's that they should be put on the sex offender registry as opposed to having a separate. I, I also agree with the idea of an animal abuse registry. But the, because this is a form of sexual assault, there definitely is crossover. Um, there's crossover among people who have sexually abused animals who then later or at some point, either before or after, sexually abused children or adults. Um, the opposite also happens. I've seen now a number of situations where a, a convicted sex offender who has been paroled uh, will then turn to bestiality will either start collecting animal pornography and child pornography or uh, and self-pleasuring or will actually have contact offenses with an animal because they that's know they can't. Yeah, they can't, don't have access and, to kids. So, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. It's just a good segue into that recent case out of, out of South Florida where we have a veterinarian that was the first person in Florida charged with the PACT Act. And then also it was discovered that they had not only videos of them having sex with animals but then there was also child pornography on right. that as well can you talk any a little bit about that case i know it's still an open investigation it's yeah like. i can 
Um, and the first thing I will tell you, this cycles us back to the PACT Act. Uh, I really wish they had not charged him with the PACT Act, but I understand why. Um, there's a difference. Something we didn't talk about is federal laws versus state laws. In 99.9% .9 of the cases, um, in fact, I can tell it, say it better the other way. The only federal law that has anything to do with animal uh, cruelty in the context that we're talking about is the Crush Act, which is now called the PACT Act. Um, and I wish they would stop doing that and continue calling it the Crush Act because that's really what it's meant to enforce. Um, they're going to, unless they can prove that. Uh, unless the prosecutor is successful in proving that the animal was tortured as as a as a uh, by by being sexually abused in some way um like for instance let's say that the quote abuse was oral let's say that the the animal was licking his penis it's going to be really hard to prove that as torture right yeah yeah I mean, it is intercourse and it is a form of torture to the dog because the dog doesn't know what it's doing. Sure. Um, but it, it's going to be tough to, to prove that. The reason that probably happened is because of the child pornography uh, uh, finding uh, or, or uh, uh, evidence. Possession, yeah. Yeah, because most child porno pornography cases are tried in federal court, whereas most animal cruelty cases are tried in uh, local, in state court. So if it's being filed in state court, it'll be state laws that will apply. And the Florida law, um, I'd, I'd have to get it out and look at it again specifically, but I don't think it, it I, I don't remember how specific it is as to what acts would be prevented. And it's probably a misdemeanor anyway. Likely he'll, but, he'll like plead, plead something for the child sex of exactly. whatever, and not they'll even drop do anything it. with the, yep, with the yep, animal. They'll drop the bestiality charges. And I hate it when that happens because then that skews the statistics. And mm -hmm. so, which is why I'm always digging up court documents to say, well, what really happened here? Because we need to know what, 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 and like when the media reports on these things, they don't often don't even put in the, uh, in the report, what kind of act happened. It'll say, they'll say, you know, an animal was tortured or an animal or animal was charged with animal cruelty. Well, that doesn't tell you that sex was involved. And that's a very having sex involved makes it a really different crime. It really does. And the the, the whole gamut of it all is, I think, for, for the take homes for our listeners is to really understand that this does not have a specific profile or characteristic. It could be a veterinarian. It could be a previous right. sex offender. It can be anybody. Uh, there's been animal protection officers involved in it in the past yep. or volunteers at your shelter. So, you know, knowing as a listener, just knowing that it could be anyone and getting those complaints of the, the person makes them, you know, lick their genitals with peanut butter is not a, an uncommon complaint that we get, but typically you're not going to discover these things without some sort of complaint from somewhere. Now right. that with that being said, keep your eyes open, you know, going to a house where someone's obsessed with, with their dog and has giant, giant photos. And we didn't talk about like landing strip photos that I think you've brought up in trainings in the past, Jenny, right. but you know, like certain, certain photos, certain types of things with their animals and, and just knowing to, to look for, you know, things that just don't make sense. And, and ultimately having conversations with the sus the suspect, you know, the person asking questions about their animal and, and see how they, you know, how they 
describe them and, and what they mean to them in a way. Because if you start to gather evidence that this is becoming more of like a surrogate for a personal partner, like you can start to tell like, okay, this person really thinks that this animal is like their husband or wife in some aspects, you need to investigate further. And then for us, like we can, we can pretty much impound anytime we have reasonable suspicion that there's some neglect or cruelty going on. If we can establish that, then we can bring the animal in for further evaluation and then having our veterinarian look at that, right? Checking, checking the, the dog or the whatever animal it is for any sort of bodily fluids, any sort of injuries around the hindquarters. I think I didn't ask earlier, how common is it? So let, let's say you go to a case and it's like pretty much an act that's happened within the last few hours. We all know how, you know, anal glands of a dog smells. Is that normal that that gets suppressed in a situation where a male dog is being penetrated? <clears throat> where what, what is being suppressed? Uh, <laughs> Of the the anal glands, would you? Oh, be able are to they smell suppressing it? the anal glands? Yeah. Yeah. So, would you um, be able to smell it if there was an act that happened within the last few minutes or hours? I I think you could. I mean, sperm has a very specific smell, and I, you absolutely would. I mean, as a as a person who deals with animals all the time, you'd be able to recognize the difference. But you can use a, a human rape kit to take okay. a swab. Yeah, that's that's uh, totally easy enough to do. Uh, you don't have to have any special special kit. Well, the tricky part becomes if you if you're looking um, if you're if you're trying to get the DNA process that can be expensive. Well, in that case, uh, I want to remind our listeners: go back a few episodes to the ASPCA forensic lab that we had on to discuss some stuff. If they're able to accept the case, you know that's all free. So if you have a case of bestiality or suspected bestiality, and you have evidence that needs processed, go on. Go online, ASPCA Pro, check out, you know, their their instructions to upload a case. And then if it gets accepted, there's no cost to you. So think about that. Let's think a little bit outside the box when trying to prosecute these. Jenny, I I could literally, and Bishop, I know you could talk to her for hours on end. Yeah. And we really, we really would love to have you back and discuss maybe more specifics. And even if there's the ability to, to have some, you know, we, we can talk about some actual, like, case studies if possible too i'd be happy to that's awesome that would be fantastic yeah so again thanks for all this information was there anything that you you wanted to make sure we got to our listeners before we let you go we covered it pretty pretty well we covered all the the key the the big picture it's a lot to process i i recognize that and you know, probably is worth a few more podcasts where we drill down on some specific things that the the unusual things that people are curious about um, that I could probably give case examples of. So, yeah, I'd be happy to come back and do that. But thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm, it, I know this is a tough topic to talk about or or listen to, and I always appreciate it whenever anyone is willing to um, open up and ask questions or 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 just think about it. Uh, because it, it, it's just a, it's a much bigger issue than people realize it is. And the more we, it's like, you know, we, we used to not talk about um, uh, the sexual abuse of children. Uh, women used to not report when they were being uh, put on the casting couch, you know, the whole Me Too movement. We used to not talk about those things, but not talking about it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And talking about it sometimes does, in fact, make it go away. Absolutely. And to our listeners, if you have specific questions, 
please shoot us a, a message. You can do that on our website, humaneroundup.com. If you have, if you want to get in touch with Jenny for training opportunities, or if you have, if you have a specific case that you want her expertise on it, go to her website, mjennyedwards.com. And there's a contact link there that you can reach out to her about it. She's awesome. I know you helped me out with some information on a, a case that we were working. And I just, I, I, can't thank you enough for being a resource for these animals. And, you know, again, this is a, a topic that is taboo. We don't have much in the, in the ways of experts. And so we're grateful to have you out there in the, in the community doing such a wonderful job. And we definitely want to get you back and talk about some more specifics. So uh, again, I thank you, Bishop. I know you thank, yes. thank her as well. And thanks for, being able to to be here today, both of you, and I want to thank our executive producer Hildy and then our editor Tim for making this show sound as great as they do. And as always on the Humane Roundup podcast, we keep it humane. 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 <laughs> awesome. Good stuff. <laughs>